Hello, I'm delighted you're able to join us on this third episode where I'm joined by Richard Natfeen. Richard has been involved in some amazing programmes over the years, the 2012 Olympics, the development of Terminal 5 at Heathrow and the digital transformation of Waitrose, just being a few of them. He has some interesting perspectives on how to deal with programmes where the delivery date is not negotiable. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Richard. Well, first, first of all, uh, thank you for agreeing to take part today, Richard. Um, we recorded this the morning after the, uh, the coldest night of the winter so far. So uh, where do we find you today? Uh, I'm in Hampton. Uh, although no, it wasn't too cold last night. We didn't oh. have a frost here. So uh, no, oh. good, but a lovely day. Lovely day. Uh, I, I was I was talking to a colleague up in uh, the uh, the borders of Scotland earlier on, and he was saying he had two or three inches of snow in his garden. Uh, <laughs> not, not too sure whether that's coming down down south. So, um, well, you've you've delivered transformation change across multiple sectors, including retail, travel, automotive, and, and utilities. So, how, how did you get into running transformation programs in the first place? I'd run big projects in, in aerospace uh, for a while, but I suppose it, it, it really all started when I, when I joined what was then BAA, the British Airports Authority, um, who, who then, before they were broken up, uh, owned the seven UK airports, including the Heathrow, Gatwick, Stansted. I led a, a, a programme putting in uh, new core airport systems and uh, processes uh, uh, into the, the UK airports. And I think it was, it, it really, the, the penny dropped for me then around all of the other things in terms of people and processes and the operations that you really needed to get right um, in order to move a business and an operation forward. The, the systems themselves were the, a bit scary, really. They were the they were the core systems to the airport, so including the, the core operational airport database, where all of the information is stored to run an entire airport. Right. Asi aside from the complexity of getting these these systems in, a massive learning point for me was uh, after we put in all of the new systems and processes. Uh, into Stansted Airport, and um, there was a an, an operational event. Um, what happened was all of the people that were then supposed to be using, or you know, these are airport airlines and handling agents, as well as the airport themselves, you know, the, where the, the cleaning companies, all, all of the people that, that need this information to know where the aircraft are and where they're going to arrive, where they'll be parked. Uh, uh, because of this operational event, everybody reacted and went back to their old way of doing things, um, which was which was uh, trying to find out the information for themselves. Um, and um, I realised then there was so much more to putting in these these kinds of you know. Not, it's not just about the tech. It's not just about the systems. Actually, it's about the behaviours. It's about the culture. It's about um, you know how ultimately people work together to operate an airport or, or you know, whatever else in a, in a business. Um, and, te the technology is the enabler, isn't it? it it's, it's actually you need the people to do things differently or to take advantage of the technology. That's right. And, and, and you know, in, in this case, it was a, a single common set of information and data that everybody shared to allow the whole airport to operate. 
Um, and so we went back in and did a lot more, uh, even more, we'd done training and, you know, to get everybody ready. Um, but uh, it was then I realised that we need to do a lot more on the behaviour and the culture and, and, and what happens in particular situations and scenarios. A short while later, a, um, another operational event, actually, which some people might remember happened, which was um, the, um, there was a, it wasn't exactly a hijacking, but the Stansted hijacking. It was when basically a, a plane was taken over by the passengers. Um, I think it was a it was a peaceful hijacking, but <laughs> nevertheless, you know, it was uh, people wanting to get to this country. Um, but obviously, I mean, this aircraft comes into Stansted, is um, is is quarantined. But of course, I mean, the whole airport then goes into shutdown. Yes. Um, and um, we, th then watching this unfold, we started to see people behaving, people operating the airport behaving in the right way. Um, in terms of sharing information. So if they had a new piece of information, they put it into the system so that everyone else then knew that that was happening. And, and what it meant was that when the, uh, the operation, you know, that the whole scenario sort of came to a frankly okay conclusion, the airport was uh, operational again. It actually got back into a pretty good operational state incredibly quickly. Right. Because of the behaviour and what happened with the people behind the scenes, you know, whilst that event had, had gone on. So I was going to say that almost proved that the, the, the sort of the structure and the, uh, the, the way that the technology had been sort of established and set up was, was fit for purpose and was working effectively. Yeah, but, but it's, you know, what, what, what it, 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 was, it was the fact that the, all the parties across the airport increase their levels of collaboration um, using uh, this data, using the systems and, and the technology, enabled the airport to get back on its feet that much more quickly, which was, you know, which is the whole point. And, and I think it was that that really started to get me really interested in, in that side of it, in the, in, the, in the business operations side, the behavioral side, um, the, 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 the people side, the, 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 you know, the collaboration, because as you say, um, technology and, and information is is the enabler. It's then uh, up to us. Is how us human beings then work with it and work with each other that, yes. that really makes the difference. And, and um, after BAA, you moved on to uh, the Olympics, uh, 2012 Olympics team. So that must have been quite enjoyable. Yeah, I, I, it was it was fantastic to be to be part of it. Uh, I I was there uh, to help set up the technology team. Uh, so to recruit all of the key uh, leaders that would that would actually then go, go on to take create the, the technology for the games and, and, and operate it and uh, I also uh, led the major deals with with big providers the big suppliers into into London 2012 including the the deal with BT which was fascinating uh, organization um, I mean I worked in the in the organizing committee LOCOG run by Seb Cope you know, which was a, an organisation that uh, only existed for five years, yes. um, put on the greatest show on earth and then disappeared. Well, uh, it's, but, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because every programme, every major project has deadlines and, um, and, and budgets and, and stuff like that. But there's probably never uh, a programme that's got a definitive deadline that's, that's, that's publicised so far in advance 
that you know everybody knew that the games were going to launch and 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 the uh, the launch event was at a certain time on a certain date and that was known well in advance so uh, you know you had no flexibility to move that there was no option to delay you you had that deadline that you had to meet which which presumably uh, focused the mind somewhat well i, I, th- I mean that was one of the one of the reasons i I think why they asked me to come and join them in terms of setting the, the thing up, because uh, previous to uh, London 2012, I was you know, very fortunate as well to to work on Terminal 5, the construction of Terminal 5 at Heathrow. And um, I mean, ironically, Terminal 5 actually looked to the Olympics at um, in, in terms of learning things. And, and, you know, one of the big things with Terminal 5 was, was again the fact that that opening date um, was was a target that was that was going to uh, to be hit, um, and and what that did in terms of doing things differently on the construction program, in terms of um, flexibility, adaptability, constant sort of reprioritization. Um, only fixing things when they needed to be fixed, but constantly um, achieving the the milestones, having a very very clear plan. Um, the, the top level plan for Terminal Five just had eighty milestones for a four and a half billion pound uh, development. Uh, you know, one milestone would be you know um, six six station railway completed yeah. <laughs> and things like that. But 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 with, uh, underpinning that, then plans were were clear and shared but there was a lot of the whole thing had to be flexible um, in terms of we might have to adjust scope or think of different ways of doing things or different ways of cost was a constant challenge and either that needed to be addressed by doing things differently um, and and more efficiently finding out new ways to uh, to build things or deliver things and did you, um, have, a, did you have a formal approach for doing that was you know because that that almost sounds a little bit like that's the, the innovation type of approach of sort of fail fast sort of methodology where you know you're trying stuff you're making sure but you're not tying yourself into it for a long period of time is, is, yeah well, yeah so, so yeah there was a um there was a term um i'll never forget we we used on on terminal five called progressive fixity <laughs> i've never heard it used anywhere else but it was actually an understanding of, of of when was your last responsible moment for nailing something up until that point you wanted to try and keep it flexible because other things could change and you might have to adapt right. um or or it gave you the chance to see whether something could be done in a different way sometimes you'd actually look at doing something faster but then you'd have to understand the implications of that on the, the, the how that was networked into the whole of the rest of the program and whether that was an, a, an advantage or not. And then the other big thing on Terminal 5, um, you know, I, I brought away from it was um, the combination of opportunity management with risk management. So as well as understanding what would make you later or uh, put your costs up or affect quality or affect safety or ultimately affect the the, uh, negatively the passenger experience there was a as much a focus on opportunity on whether something could be done faster cheaper better more safely or, or in, enhance what passengers are going to do and, and, and what what uh, we tried to do was trade off um, risk and and opportunity 
Um, and yeah, the, the other big thing on Terminal 5 would be the supply arrangements. And, and uh, so Terminal 5 was open book. Uh, there were agreed margins. Uh, it was highly collaborative. And, and, and it, was, it was those things that allowed the, the program itself to, to adapt um, you know, over the, those, those many years. Delivering the thing, the, you know, the project, the product, whatever it is, is one thing. Um, but um, change and transformation and, and things so often go wrong at, at that go live. And it's why you're planning for the transition from your new state, your old yeah. state into your new state has got to be so meticulous Absolutely. and you've got to cover the angles and really understand and, and then again a lot of it comes down to people and training Absolutely. and behavior and 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 that that sort of opportunity balance between opportunity and risk how have you deployed that in in, in since since doing it within uh, in t5 in terms of the the other programs that you've been involved in is that a a core principle that you've adopted yeah with? absolutely yeah every, applied everywhere um at a at a um encourage my you know my, my project my program managers uh to uh to do to run run those on on their on their elements um and then also make sure it's done at a at a portfolio level um, so often you know obviously we know risk uh, risk management is is not done that well you know yeah. do a great big excel spreadsheet and then throw it in a drawer um and I think so. I think it's about how how I, I expect risk and opportunities to be discussed as part of doing day to day business um, and the you know the day to day delivery, yes. um, and to be uh, looked at by the, the the combined teams. You know, by it, it's not just a project manager's role. It, it's um, it, it's the whole team needs to get involved in um, you know what could come along and hit us and screw yes. us up um what actually what are, where are the upsides what what could we do what could make things better how could we go faster right and and and, and make those conversations part of you know every, every hour every day amongst the team absolutely transformations are the catalyst for transformations are, 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 are varied you know people might be looking at new technologies they might be looking at shifts in the marketplace uh, low low profit margins, or or, or you know go, looking for growth, or mergers and acquisitions are obviously uh, a key elements as well. Um, you, you've you've worked across multiple different types of transformations. Uh, which which have you found the most uh, interesting? Of all the transformations, from a, a a big grand design point of view, obviously. Terminal Five it is. I was so glad to be to be part of that um, in terms of building something so game changing for Heathrow. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of the, the more usual uh, transformations uh, I've, I've been involved in, it was the work of my work at Waitrose. I really, uh, really enjoyed doing. Um, I think I, I'm incredibly proud of. Um, uh, and uh, I, had, I had just a, an absolutely fantastic team, and um, yeah. Can, we, we can you go a little bit more into a little bit more detail about what you did there then, and, and why, yeah, so, why, so, why it was so enjoyable? Um, so, so in, I, I was I was asked to uh, to join to to set up and run uh, the uh, customer transformation program. What that was about was 
Waitrose knew that it needed to uh, to change and um, give their customers you know, what what customers were expecting in terms of grocery retail. The, the revolution that continues to happen digitally because of us and our connected world and our personal devices and, and, and how we now operate as, as people and what we expect. Um, I guess the strap line really for, for the program was how do we how do we keep the best of what's Waitrose uh, but reflect the, the way that our customers want to shop today? Um, and so this included everything from you know apps and websites and the whole the whole pure digital world, but but also into um, what transformations do we needed to make in store um, in the various branches in terms of the capabilities of of, uh, of, of partners of the the, the waitress partners the waitress uh, staff and and how that also then extended into the the, you know, the, the propositions and, and the services and and what waitrose um, needed to needed to offer um, obviously in a, in a very challenging market it, no longer is waitrose just competing with you know the the big supermarkets and and the discounters like little and, and Aldi it's also having to compete with others who want a, a share of our, our stomachs as consumers <laughs> um, you know our, our choice is now for I want some dinner for tonight with the the likes of you know Just Eat or HelloFresh or Gusto or Deliveroo it is is now huge and 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 so Waitrose needed to reinvent itself and, and work out what it needed to provide it, 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 its customers and so th this program was you know obviously very very big setting up from uh, from scratch I had the opportunity to build a, a, a fantastic team. Um, you know, many of whom I'm still in, in contact with. And um, I think with Waitrose, and I think what, what I look for um, in, in what makes a transformation a program enjoyable for me is, is one, is there the ambition there amongst the leadership of the organisation? Um, you know, in terms of, right, we really need to go somewhere new here. We need to go somewhere different. Secondly, is that, does that then, reflecting in in the attitude among across the whole organization uh in terms of the desire to uh, to do things differently and to, to to do things better and then from a a, a cultural and a capability point of view is that is the culture there that will enable really enable that transformation to happen at speed at pace and and, and is the is sufficient capability there uh you know particularly in terms of the uh, the, the the teams the, the, and the people, uh, Waitrose, all of those were present. There was a real ambition amongst the the um, the, the board at, at Waitrose to do something new and do something different. They selected. I hadn't. I didn't have previous retail experience, but they brought me in because of my skills in in gluing all of this stuff together and delivering it at pace, um, and being able to build teams that would adapt and adjust depending on on what what we needed to do. They were really open to new ways of doing things, um, and I think you know the the, the culture of the partnership um, at, at, at John Lewis and Waitrose means the levels of collaboration um, across the whole organisation can be really really high, and I think you know that that I got a kick out as as at least as much out of that as that you know what that as what that then enabled us to deliver yeah. in terms of 
in terms of new websites, you know, groundbreaking apps, Waitrose leapfrogging their competitors in terms of the services you got in branch. And you know, because of everything we did on payment, Waitrose were a launch partner for Apple Pay. Right. Um, the, the, the morning that Apple Pay went live, it was live across all 350 plus Waitrose branches in the UK. And, and, and you know, that program really sort of set that foundation in, in bringing Waitrose, you know, up, up to you know being quite a leader in, in multi-channel, omni-channel grocery. Right. And, and what would you say were the sort of vital steps? Are the sort of six or seven things that you think actually I need to get these in place, working effectively, efficiently for them to uh, for it to be successful? Yeah, I think from and I'll keep coming back to the whole the whole thing about the about the people and the capability and the teams yeah in terms of things like methods and techniques uh, i i've always found one size never fits all and it depends on the the organization i mean what i think what, what's what's important in any in any transformation that you do have a consistent set of doing things i won't say one set of doing things mm -hmm. um you know for example at waitrose we obviously had some projects that were employed much more so, say pure agile techniques other other projects that were, were quite legacy were a bit more chunky but but i guess the, the point is that you you need to understand that the, the set the toolbox you're going to use and that everybody understands what that is so that they are speaking a common language and um you get that you you get the consistency in and and you get you make sure you get maximum possible alignment yeah where big transformation programs often go wrong internally is 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 through a lack of alignment because one team is charging off doing you know doing its own thing and and, and uh, you know, managing those cross dependencies um is, is is critical as well as you know i've mentioned risk and opportunity management um but i think the, the understand when you when you're running a, a program that might have I don't know, you know, 20 or 30 active initiatives uh, at, any, at any one time. Um, it, it's, it's one, making sure that everyone is clear on your destinations, be them interim or, or ultimate, um, whilst you want to give the teams themselves maximum autonomy to be able to do, adapt and do what they, they think is the right and most important things. It's really critical that, yeah, you, you, the teams, the, the between the teams are joined up, um, and again, this this isn't just about having some dependency register Excel spreadsheet. It's that actually you have those human connections, yeah. and you build a network of, of of teams and a network of of, of people. I, I I talked earlier about capability uh, being critical, and I think that's underst understanding right up front the. The, the skills, experience, capabilities you need, and if you haven't got them, you go out and get them damn quick. You, and you, you you see what untapped talent there might be yeah. in your own organisation, <laughs> and, and how you how you how you build those you know, proper multidisciplined and and diverse teams. Um, you know, I've always found that um, contrary to popular belief, uh, pound notes and money are never the restricting factor on a transformation. Yeah. It, it's always it's always uh, the capability of people either that you haven't got the right sort of skills and experience, or so often people devoting the right amount of time. Yes, uh, from you know senior leaders doing transformation as a bit of a hobby, as opposed to being truly 
you know, committed and, um, and, and investing the necessary time and, and, and energy in it. And then similarly, you'll find, you'll have sort of your, you know, people single points of failure where there'll be certain people that have such critical skills that they're, they're pulled in, in all directions. And it's those things that slow down decision-making, slow down progress, and ultimately slow down your, your transformations more than, than having sufficient pound notes. Yeah, absolutely. And you've, you've worked across different sectors. Have you found um, those, uh, any, any differences within the various organisations that you've worked in different sectors? You mean di- differences in... Um, in the organisations or differences, uh, differences in how you carry yeah, it out? Yeah, well, differences in approach. There's always, a, uh, there's always an argument that actually, you know, if you, if you are to be successful within a particular sector, you need to have had you know, 20 years' experience in that sector to understand how it works. Uh, but I mean, I'm always intrigued when people like yourself have moved sector, um, how they have um, found that and, and, and whether or not they... they, they saw the uh, or found that the lack of knowledge of that particular sector was a hindrance or in some cases a benefit so i've always found that i can do what i do um in any sector going in somewhere completely new obviously i've got a learning curve to get up um but with the help of the the people around me that can happen pretty quickly and again it's about it's about the team you know the leadership team or the the, the delivery teams that, that that I slot into mean that I don't think it is necessary uh, to have um, the, the the deep knowledge of, of that sector yet well, yes yes of course it can help but I remember the um, you know, when I went into into Waitrose, one of the the, the Waitrose board directors um, you know, said to me, "Actually, Richard, we've got enough retail experts in Waitrose. What we need is someone who can help glue the whole thing together." Yes, and having that and, outside um, view. Yeah, and so I think, and, and certainly, I looked for it in 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 the you know in the teams that I build. So, if you have to boil down everything all your experience into one sort of core takeaway today what would that be transformation is about taking an organization you know to to somewhere fundamentally different Mm -hmm. It, it is critical therefore to find the best possible set of people that you can that will you know will work together and collectively lead that that shift in in the organization yeah absolutely and i think uh, transformation means different things to many different people and um and you, you we constantly hear about digital transformation this and digital transformation that i agree it always comes down to the people um and your ability to change the way things are done will ultimately be the, your ability to change the way people react or respond or do things differently. Well, thanks, Richard. Are you happy to take questions and respond to any clarification requested by our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah, very happy to. It's, it's just, a, I just find it's a great way to continue the discussion. Yeah, yeah good idea. Okay, brilliant. Well, thanks a lot and uh, speak soon. I trust that you're finding these conversations interesting. Please do let me know if you'd like me to delve into any specific area of transformation in upcoming episodes. 
The next episode is with Damon Lawrenson, who has experience of delivering transformation across both public and private sectors, whilst under massive political scrutiny, and will undoubtedly share his perspective on well-being and mindfulness, and the part it plays in his success. If you'd like to know more about Richard or any of the people that join us in the coming weeks, please do get in touch with me. You'll find my contact details in the show notes. Don't forget, if you haven't already, go subscribe to the podcast.